0: like to invite you to the 13th annual gong show our sponsors this year are comedy slam radio Carabas, kia of new port ritchie and the tampa times this being the 13th annual which we probably present at the location in port ritchie at 9814 scenic drive Carabas will be there to serve and cook food right on site it's byob with over 20 acts of fun We have four judges, just like in the real life, they have to buy their way into this. It's a fun, full night with 50-50 raffle prizes, silent auction, door prizes, too many others to mention, soda and water provided at no cost. This event is always a sellout with over 600 in attendance, with all the proceeds going to help Alzheimer's patients in the Tri-County area and the education needed to give support to the caregivers. The phone number if you're interested in going to this great night of fun, 727-848-8888. To preview some of the past shows over the years, go to alzheimersfamily.org. Again, go to 727-848-8888 and give your support for Alzheimer's Family Organization. And family is their middle name. (laughs)
1: You are listening to ComedySlamRadio.com. From our studios to the world, we bring you the finest in quality entertainment. So pop some popcorn, grab a smooch buddy, and settle in for another fine show. From ComedySlamRadio.com.
2: Let's be frank with Dave Frank. Thanks again for tuning in this week. I want to introduce my first guest in the studio, Steve Eric. How are you doing? I'm doing real well. How are you doing, Dave? Not too bad. Steve, you've been in comedy a long time,
3: right? <laughs> Longer than I like to remember.
2: Longer than you like to remember. Is that more than 20 years?
3: Yes, unfortunately, it's more than 20 years. Unfortunately, those aren't the
2: greatest <laughs> moments of your
3: life. <laughs> They've been the greatest moments of my life. I just wasn't wish I wasn't as old as I am. I was <laughs> you you got more hair on the top of your head than I've had in my whole damn life. What are you talking about? I've been lucky
2: that way, so. All right. So one of the reasons I invited you because our call-in guest, who's going to be calling in, in just a minute, is uh, Dobie Maxwell. And uh, he's been a comedian now on the road 25, 30 years. He's been all over. Very funny
3: man. Very funny man.
2: And I know you said you that you guys knew each other, so I thought it would make for a great show.
3: I'm not, I wouldn't go so far as to say we know each other. I haven't worked with him in 15 years, but I did spend some time on the road with him years ago in wonderful times. All right,
2: so let's go ahead and go to Dolby Live. And, Dolby, how you doing?
4: Hey, Frank, Steve, Eric, this is a big day in my comedy career, brother, walking <laughs> coast to coast, pillar to post to get a chance to talk with my two buddies down in Florida as I'm freezing up here in Chicago. What's
2: up? Not too much, man. How cold is it up in Chicago, man?
4: I don't have any jokes about how cold it is. I think global warming is kicking in. It's about 50 degrees today. All the, all the, the fun of complaining about how cold it is is gone.
3: Yeah, that's the problem. It gets 50 here, and there's the Canadians going out to the beach, and I'm putting on my park at 50. That's
4: <laughs> oh, exactly right, man. I don't know. It's all out of control. Who, who knows? All right. My Packers aren't in the Super Bowl anymore, so I'm, I'm bummed. I'm in a total funk.
3: <laughs> <laughs> I feel you there, because growing up in southern Wisconsin myself, I was rooting for the Packers once my Buccaneers were eliminated in, season, in week three. From then on, I cheered for the Packers.
4: See that's the thing, you know. Steve's smart enough. He he goes down to where all the hot chicks are. He leaves Wisconsin. He he cheers for another team besides the Packers. That's why I'm up here, and you're you're in the studio, and I'm in a, my little cell phone, walking around my hovel.
2: <laughs> well, you know, I'm sure you've had your opportunity to come to Florida and settle there, but you keep wanting to go back to Wisconsin with all the fat people and the cheese and all the stuff you talk about on your CDs. Something keeps dragging you back there.
4: I don't know what it is. You know, home is home. It, it's amazing. I lived in LA for a while, about a year, and, and I think everybody goes up to another place as a comedian, and then you, you settle some places. What, you're born one place and you settle another place, and that's your home. I mean, like Steve, you're born in Wisconsin, you settle in Florida. Florida is your home by this particular point. I live in Chicago. That's my home. It's the third largest city. I couldn't make it an impact in New York or LA like I do here. It's comfortable. I know a lot of friends, and you stay where you stay. As a comedian, you're like a gypsy anyway. You're gone all over the place. It doesn't really matter where you're from. It's where you are. To Night, where's the next gig?
2: There you go. And now you're still out traveling regularly, correct?
4: Working the honky tonks, the gin joints, the smoke-filled fornicatoriums, the one-night gigs, jumping out of a cake, Nazi barn dance, dirt floor, jamboree, hoedowns. <laughs> that's where I'm moving. I thought, I'm thought I now the grizzled old fart I never thought I would be. <laughs> when I started out, I was a young punk, and I at all these headliners complaining. I thought, what do you have to complain about, old man? Ah, I'm going to show you what comedy is all about. Now I see all these years later how it beats you down. You know, every every town's got their own little. I'm sure Steve can attest to this too. Their own little uh, empire. You know, the club owner's got his waitresses. Don't you try to mess with his waitresses, and he's the one. And it's like after all these years later, I'm just happy to get the gigs, man. I just happy to pay the bills every month.
3: I'm too old to get cocktail waitresses fired anymore. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Dobie.
2: Yeah, hey, Dobie. Yes. I want to. I want to introduce. A mysterious voice to you from your past, because I told you Uh, you how to. Oh, this
4: is your life.
2: This is your life. Let's see if you if you remember this blast from the past. This was your surprise. Hey,
1: Dobie, how are you?
4: Uh, I'm good, man. I have a cheap cell phone. I'm not recognizing who this is, but I hope I don't owe you money.
2: (laughs) Of course, you owe money. or I wouldn't have brought him here. I get ten percent. Beautiful.
1: We saw each other probably about ten years ago.
2: It was a moonlit night. The water.
1: It was in Louisville.
2: Oh, I guess there goes the moonlit night. Oh, is that Mike McRae?
1: No.
2: One more it's shot. Louisville.
1: Louisville. Haven't seen each other in a long time. You headlined when I headlined. We never really worked together. So this that's a fact that that like it was a surprise.
4: <laughs> you're throwing him off. Oh, by I, I, I feel like up. a possum specker I have no idea who this young man is, and i I'm sorry. Oh, He definitely ain't <laughs> young. He's like
2: the <laughs> oldest guy I know that's still doing comedy. What are you like? 106 now? Yeah, dog years. Dog years. We got Steve Baird here, which man?
4: Steve Baird. Oh, totally funny man. I got a great Steve Baird. Story. Oh great, great, no! Yes, yeah, give <laughs> us a great Steve Baird story. What's up, Dobsky? Hey, buddy, how are you, man? This is, this is a good one. You're, you're the hero in this story. <laughs> <laughs> we, we did a gig many years ago for, for in Green Bay, Wisconsin. And it was, a, it was a college gig. And I remember it was a last-minute replacement that I filled in for. And it was a, a noon kind of thing. And my grandmother was, was in her probably late 80s, early 90s. And she's from a small town about 30 miles outside of Green Bay. So uh, it was a booking agent. I said, well, I won't name the booking agent. I said, can you do this last-minute thing? So I said, okay, who am I working with? Are working with Steve Baird? Oh, that would be great. We'll have a good I love Steve. He's a funny guy. I haven't seen him in a while. It would be awesome. So I called my grandma. I said, Grandma, I'll tell you what. I'll go past Grandpa's grave, take you out the lunch. this stuff. just let me do this gig. I'll leave you out in the parking lot to read your National Enquirer. Do what you got to do. So we go to, it's the end of the school year, so it's, it's 75 degrees in May, there's nobody in this cafeteria gig, and show up, Steve's there, I'm there, and, and it's this 19-year-old freshman with a hyphen in her name, you know, Fawcett Majors, Rodham Clinton, something, uh, has uh, never had power before in her life, is running the show and said, like, okay, well, well, who wants to go first? I said, well, if you don't mind, uh, my grandmother's in the car, blah, blah, blah. I'll just go first and see if you can handle it. All right, so we get the time for the show. There's nobody There's nobody there for the show. Well, well I guess I'll leave. All we got to do a show if we're going to pay you. Well, I mean, can I just leave? There's no, well, we got to do a show. So we remember standing up, and I'm talking to Steve on the stage, and there's these Mexican guys that don't speak English that are cleaning the trays out of this cafeteria. So we're going back and forth, and I'm just talking to him. Hey, Steve, how you been? i talking a long time. Well, I was going? Okay, well, I guess my time is up. I'll see you later. And, and I left. And I don't remember. You know, Steve goes up on stage, and I get this call from the booking agent. You made a mockery out of the gig. How could you possibly do that? Blah blah blah. Uh, and we're going back. I said, wait a minute. I filled in for you. I was. I wasn't even booked for the gig. I filled in, and uh, to this day, I haven't worked for that booker again. So lose work, Mr. Beard.
1: I stuck around till lunchtime there you go. the next day. <laughs> Yeah, I, anytime there's nobody there, I just stretch out the misery.
2: There you go. Did oh, anybody ever yeah, show up?
1: No, I just stay there and talk for 24 hours.
4: Yeah, just right, right up. And you stand right up on the, uh, the, the cafeteria, as I remember this thing. There's nobody there, and we have to do that gig. That's, yeah. oh, that's yeah. amazing. That's how
2: comedy is. Show must go on. There you go. <laughs> now, in addition to getting to work with the great Steve Baird and the great Steve Eric, you've got a lot of other great names that you've worked with, everybody from Tim Allen, Drew Carey. The Dice Man, Chris Rock. I mean, you've been working yeah, with everybody. I launched
4: all their careers. <laughs>
2: <laughs> they they made they got famous off of your back, right? They piggybacked off Adobe.
4: It's really true. If you go to all their all their management, it's you look at their resume. They've closed for Adobe Maxwell. There you go. <laughs> so, you, know, you open for this person. I guess, yeah, I was on the stage an hour before they were. No one knows who we have. People say, say, oh, "I open for this person." They're not like, supposed to impress anybody. Because you know, I almost dated Cindy Crawford. You know, I almost rubbed her mole. <laughs>
3: <laughs> I was just going to say that actually, Dobie Maxwell is the most enterprising person in my 25 years on the road working comedy this man i remember you driving around to pick up a baseball bat because you knew where you could get a baseball bat you saw at a antique store that was signed by the 84 brewers and you could pick it up for 175 bucks and you knew a guy who'd give you 240 for it if you pick and you're driving all day to go and pick up this baseball bat before the show and what you had wrestling rings to set up in the on the following weekend, and yet nobody worked harder to just get out there and create cash flow than Dobie Maxwell.
4: Well, thanks. You know, I'm the second hardest working man in show business behind James Brown, but at least he has, he got a little bit of fame about. It. I, I was American Pickers <laughs> before American Pickers was famous.
5: <laughs> so I looked at it,
4: right around in my in my crappy car. Exactly. looking to go to the to the Goodwill to find the Declaration of Independence for four million so sell it for eight million. Yeah. ebay kind of really ruined that but as a comic in theory it's you know we're on the road all the time and then you say okay you got 23 hours a day to kill so you try to find antique and i I tried to wheel and deal my entire life if i have put that much effort into my act i'd probably be famous by now <laughs> well you said I, i'm infamous like frank nitty go ahead
2: <laughs> well you had said and, and since you since you said you would have been famous by now but you are very well known and but very you, well respected. There you go. By both of us. Well, yes. All three that, of us. Yeah, yeah that's, absolutely. That, that means
4: more than fans to me. Thank you.
2: Well, that's good. You had said one of the things that sidelined you for a bit in another interview was uh, going into radio. Uh, it took away from your ability to really concentrate on the craft of comedy.
4: It, it did, you know, and I, I caught some bad breaks, and it, it, it happened, you know what I'm saying? And, and I think, you know, I have I have a, a very common ailment that a lot of comedians have, and unfortunately, the two very funny gentlemen that you have in the studio have the same ailment that I have. It's called Caucasianitis. <laughs> for a stand-up comic it really doesn't matter how funny you are people say well you're bitter when you say that no it's really not it's a lot of times you know, we're garden variety variety white guys I mean you know Steve Eric is, 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 is a stud with a, a hair he's got a character and an image you know Jake Stigum Steve Baird and I it's like well we're just white guys and I'm nothing yeah, you know nothing <laughs> I, if, I, if I could go out there with the chicks like Steve Erick, believe me I'd be in a rock band I would not be in a comic cause we're dented cans That's very true you get in the radio and you get travel around the country and when stand-up comedy looks stable you know radio is a complete mess. It, it totally, I've been fired five times in all four time zones in America. And it was a calculated risk. I went to towns like Reno, which <laughs> that was an entertainment town. And Salt Lake City, I was the dorkiest non-Mormon out there. And I had to loop in Chicago. That's the major leagues in radio. Yeah, it is. And all those times, you know, the, the station got sold or it or changed the format. And, and you hear the three magic words, the worst words in the broadcasting business. Shut the door. And when you go in there and they say, shut the door, <laughs> it's all over. <laughs> they guys your paperwork all filled out. and you just moved across the country, and you're screwed, and you got to go back out again. So yeah. I rolled the dice a lot of times, and I lost, and that's just how it is. There's a famous radio guy. I don't know if you heard his name. His name is Dick Biondi. He'd be almost, uh, I'm going kind to of think someone in, in comedy, like like a Kip Adada in stand-up comedy. Everybody in comedy knows who Kip Adada yeah. <laughs> is, but the public does it. And the same thing with Dick Biondi. He's been fired 23 times right? <laughs> He's probably in the 70s now. <laughs> and it's just he just knows the guy that shows up and gets fired. And he's a big time guy, but that's that's how it is, man. It's just the breaks.
3: <laughs> it's
2: it's just you know it's like in sales or anything else. You got to have thick skin. You know there, it comes with loads of rejection. This gig.
4: Yeah, but, you know, in comedy, it's like, why are we comics in the first place? Because we're dented cans. We need to love. We didn't get this. The old man didn't throw the football around when we were kids. We (laughs) stand on half a ping-pong table in some crappy gig in the panhandle of Florida, hoping that somebody notices us. It's really pathetic. It's (laughs) a mental illness. It really is.
2: It is pitiful that I had to change my stage name to Fat Davey to start getting laughs. laughs.
4: (laughs) <laughs> really, what, what, what were you before
2: I just my went by all, baby. there you go That uh, I just went on as day Frank but when I really embraced my inner fat child I did better you got to go with what yeah. you know
4: you, you got to sell the product I was telling people you think, you think Ray Kroc ate, ever ate a McDonald's hamburger himself no he sold billions of them he didn't eat them but he knew what the <laughs> public wanted sometimes you got to sell your product uh, yeah, I got to believe Carrot Top you know, he, he, doesn't, he, he does what the public buys Right. It, it's a marketing thing after a while.
1: Think he eats carrots, though? <laughs>
4: doesn't. No, Dumb
1: doesn't eat carrots. Man, no. eats steroids, he eats. I don't know, man. He seems awful orange. Yes, he awful orange. Both and, huge. and orange.
3: I've seen Scotty eat a lot of things. <laughs> <laughs> Years ago, I tried to get Scotty into uh, Summerfest. It's a big festival up in Milwaukee. Uh, they have a variety stage That uh, has comics. Actually, it was where uh, Carlin got arrested for the seven dirty words. So it's a very famous variety stage. And uh, they have uh, local comics or, you know, people who don't get paid as well as the headliners that fill out the roster for the daytime. And then at night, they'll bring in a, you know, a major superstar. And I tried to get uh, Scotty in as a filler act. And uh, they never had a spot for him, and they never had a spot for him. And a couple years later, the woman who booked the gig calls me up, and she goes, remember that comic you tried to get me to give $250 to? And I told him no. I just gave him a check for (laughs) (laughs) $25,000.
2: I'm still waiting on my first $25,000 check.
4: Well, good luck, buddy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I don't know if our, our time is. I'll tell you a quick story. Because I was, I was an, an opening act working for a, a, a booker in, in Michigan. I was in Detroit, Michigan. And uh, the headliner was a really, really nice guy. And uh, he, he was from Georgia. And I remember we were working together. We got, and he said, kid, you're really funny, man. You got a spark. I don't know what it is, man. I got this idea. I, I want to make a million dollars with it. I really think that I could take you along with me. You could be, help me write some stuff. I'll buy your lunch tomorrow, and I'm going to run it past you. I heard, like, Charlie Brown's teacher, here's what I heard him say, wah, 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 buy you lunch. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm eating my greasy hamburger, and it's rolling down my my elbows, and I'm looking at him, and he's a really organized guy, and he's got a notebook with this little spiral uh, wire on it, and he's got three by five cards with jokes, and he sits me down, and he says, okay. Here's my idea. You might be a redneck if, and then I do jokes about it. What do you think? I said in my 22-year-old wisdom, that is the stupidest idea I have ever heard in my entire life. And his eyes got real big. He said, why do you say that? This is going to make a million bucks. I said, that's a stupid bit. That's a mad magazine bit. You know, you might be uh, blank if I read that kind of crap when I was nine years old. If you're going to sell that crap to the American public, you should get a pink Cadillac from Mary Kay. You just wasted a hamburger, man. You, I like you. You're a good guy, but you're stupid. He said, no, no, I, really <laughs> think it. I just vehemently denied it. And, of course, it was Jeff Foxworthy. Yeah. He made millions. And, and about ten years later... I was working in Reno, Nevada, at a radio station there, and he and Bill Engvall sold 9,400 tickets at $35 each at the Reno-Hilton Outdoor Theater. And I got backstage from the radio station, and I said, Jeff, you remember me? And he goes, yeah, you're that guy that told me I'd never make it. And we <laughs> laughed about it, and he laughed a lot harder than I did. You he you know, you know, you wasn't the only person to tell me I wouldn't make it, but you were right in my face. You, got in, you, you stuck it to me a little bit. And I, I didn't see it. I was too stupid then. I was a young punk.
1: Well, no, what it is is the audience is too stupid. That's true. Uh, You get the ninth-grade audiences at Red Mag Magazine. Well, they're going to eat that up, and that's 99% of the audiences out
2: there. Well, I mean, I think he's got a a bunch of seasoned-aged hillbilly veterans (laughs) that listen to him as well. Yeah. They do got to have their driver's licenses to get her done in the truck. Yeah. Well,
4: it's so funny because I, I tell a story and I was working at another radio station in Salt Lake City and, and my partner, I told that story in the air, I goes, you're lying. I said, you know what, I'm telling you, you're going to interview Jeff Foxworthy, really. I'm going to go in the other room, you bring up my name and tell a story and see what he says. And sure enough, Foxworthy really confirmed it and I went back in there, hey, how you doing? He said, well, I thought you were lying. I didn't think anybody. Goes, hey, man, it's the story of my life. Mr. Lucky, wrong place, wrong time. I, said, I, hear, I know, somebody else is what's worse than you. <laughs>
2: You know, it, it's funny on the, on the on your CD. My my favorite part is when you talk about uh, when you get to meet your mom for the first time, and she tells you a story when you were a little kid on the motorcycle. I just can't stop laughing at that, man. You want to tell that story uh, to the fine. people?
4: Well, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, it's it's it's, it's comedic exaggeration, but my mother, my mother, I really my we're dented, comedians are dented cans, man. We, we and <laughs> my dad was a biker. It's really true. He rode with of the Outlaws motorcycle gang uh, in Milwaukee, where they make Harleys. And I, my joke is that my, my mom breastfed me on the back of a Harley going 75 miles an hour. And I was a biker baby. She flips out a boob, starts hopping all around. By the time I got it, it's butter. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
2: I love that joke, man.
4: And her nipple ring's not real gold, so I got a green mustache when I'm done with <laughs> One of those things it, it masks the pain you know it, and I'll tell you the story behind that joke it was it's, uh, and, and uh, Steve Eric I'm not sure if Steve Eric was there working this place I don't know if Steve Eric did it was a place called Toons in Madison Wisconsin sure. and it's a little tiny club and, and Madison is, is a college town and it's, it's got a hot club there right on the strip and then a lot of times in comedy a, a town is only really good for one club and sometimes another club will open up there and the, the the main club is packed and really well, and the other club is it's crickets. You know, they're all being cotton. There's no one around there. And and Madison was like that. And Toons was the same lady that booked Summerfest that Steve was talking about. And we worked. And so there's like nine people there, and it's the dead of winter, and I hated my life. And times are down and out, and I was going through a really horrible time in life. And, and I worked this gig in front of nine people, and a girl, the hot chick from school. She had moved to Madison and she married some dweeb and she came out to see me because she heard I was a comedian. So I don't know whether I get to marry her. She's with her husband there and there's seven other people. And I just and, and my buddy who was with me said, you know what, he goes, who, they don't know what your act is. And then you had a crap. Just go out there and just talk about your life. Don't do comedy. Don't do jokes. Just talk about your life. And at the time, I was getting sued by mm-hmm. a lawyer over fourteen dollars worth of phone bill. True story. I just <laughs> I, started, I started just wailing on my life. It's like my, my dad was a biker. You know what it's like Growing up, that my mom and she, 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 I mean, imagine getting breastfed in the back of a Harley, and she flips a, flips a boob out, and, and, it's flicked, and it's butter by the time i just just talking about. It. it wasn't even a joke yet. And there were people that were just they were laughing so hard, and the one guy literally fell out of his chair. And my buddy said afterwards, he goes, you hate your life, you're ready to put a bullet in your head. But he goes, I don't care if it's Caesar's Palace in Las Vegas, someone laughs so hard they fall out of their chair. You can't do your job any better than that. Your pain was other people's happiness. He goes, that's what comedy is. It's not about jokes, it's about, it's about, it's about touching them on a human level. And he said, that's what you did. And that joke from that day on has always been, I could bring that out there, and in any situation, that'll get a big pop. It's, oh, that's so cute. But I was really born in a lot of pain. I mean, I didn't meet my mom. She left when I was five months old. She, I did find out she was a heroin addict, and she, and she was a prostitute, and she sold her body and abandoned the kids. and, and the whole deal. I've seen her twice in my life. And it's it's a horrible situation, but to make a joke out of it, every time that that joke is told, it's like a tic tac. You know, there's a sugar coating around there, but inside, it's got it. It hurts, man. It really hurts when the sugar comes off the tic tac. It, it burns.
3: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it helps so many people by you sharing that, man.
4: Well, Jake, I think a lot of people know. You guys are comics, you know. And I, I know Steve Baird. I don't mean to, to but you had a, a nasty fall, and you're in a lot of physical. Oh patterns. yeah, yeah.
1: You remember that, yeah. I'll, Connor said we felt we love you, we felt
4: so bad for you, I don't, I don't wish that anybody and it's like, Oh, I remember last time it's been a while, so talking to you, but you're going through all this kind of BS and trying to lawsuits and yeah, lawyers yeah, was and that crap. That. It's like, you know, I don't care how much money, if you got a billion dollars, it doesn't mean it's pain and uh, suffering and that's what comedy unfortunately comes from.
1: Yeah, you're right. You're absolutely I, right. I heard you got a buck three eighty for that. <laughs> Yeah, that's why I you had to you. buy the beers tonight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm,
2: not
4: to, I'm not trying to get a good personal award, or something, but that's what, that's what it is, man. Yeah, I know. I hear you,
2: man. Yeah, that's right. I bought the beers. So, Dolby next time you want to fly from Chicago to Florida to do the show, I'll buy your beers, too.
4: I, but you know, believe it or not, I appreciate that nice gesture. I don't drink at all. I've never had an alcoholic beverage. It makes ugly people reproduce, and that's how I got here. Seriously, I never, I never drank, never did a line of Coke, never smoked pop. People say, what are you, a comedy zombie? You've never done that? I say, I've got other problems. I would have made John Fox look temperate if I would have been a substance abuser. So I just, I got other problems, but I never did that.
2: I love it. So and one of the other things, because I had originally contacted you many months back and we booked out the show and one of the reasons why i wanted to have you on is you also teach comedy classes i mean you're to the point where you've taught a couple of thousand students already
4: about, yeah, i've had over about 2500 have come through my classes yes
2: so so what's what's the take for you on the comedy what what made you decide to start teaching it
4: well, I didn't decide. Life actually decided for me. I had a, a my 30th birthday, a week after my 30th birthday, I had a, a car accident. And I thought I was doing good. I was pretty cocky at age 30, and I started at probably 20. I was doing okay. I was just starting to headline rooms, and I wasn't really a headline, I was just kind of closing rooms. But you, know, you get a little cocky at that age, and we all know that as comics. You know, you start doing doing okay, and you, you you think you're better than you are. But unfortunately, you need that attitude to stay with the business. So I'm doing okay. I, I had a convertible. It wasn't a new car, but it was a convertible, and I always wanted a convertible, especially living in Wisconsin. It's like, oh, hey, a convertible! I sure hope summer's on a weekend this year. <laughs> <laughs> stupid, you know, to buy one. So I'm coming home from this gig, and the top was up. But what what happened was, it was a fluke accident. Again, I am Mr. Lucky. Things happen to me that don't happen to anybody else. What happened was some some drunk driver, sixth defense, driving after revocation, fell asleep at the wheel. Three o'clock in the morning, I'm coming home from a gig, and it was the worst part of town. He falls asleep at the wheel, and he goes up on the curb, and he and he hits a, an electric light pole, a power line. And he didn't knock it out of the socket. He's kind of knocked the, the pole at an angle. And it was down, and there were live electric wires about two feet across the road. It was like a, like a finish line, you know. And it was it was all the way across six lanes of traffic. And that's when Mr. Lucky shows up at three o'clock in the morning, and I had no idea. <laughs> I, didn't, and I, got, like, I got about fifty feet in front of these power lines. And it looked like, oh, my God, there's something bad here. So like an idiot, I ducked. I ducked down. And I, this is a, it what kept me alive is what it did. And my, my front tire and bumper went underneath these wires, and it flipped the entire convertible, Mustang convertible, upside down. So I'm sliding upside down on the road for about a block, and I hit a mailbox, which is what stopped my, my slide, and I bounced off the steering wheel and the gear shift. And I broke my sternum, and I, I broke my jaw, and I, and I, I was in. There, I thought I was going to die. They had to get, cut me out with the jaws of life, and they took me to the intensive care ward in the hospital. And, and it's horrible. I'm, I, I don't know if I'm going to live or if I'm going to die. And of course, I got the comedian uh, 100% deductible, no insurance plan.
5: Yeah. I'm
4: totally screwed. And I'm living. I'm, I'm, I couldn't work for about six months. I had to heal, and, and there, was, there was no gigs. And I was eating food out of a shelter. I was really down and out. And one of the, the colleges in Milwaukee called up and said, "We saw your article in the paper." That, uh, that you're not doing well and you're not going to be on the road. We want you to, to teach a stand-up comedy class. There's people that are interested in doing that, and we thought you'd be the perfect person to teach it. I said, well, Keith, you can't really teach a class in comedy. You're either funny or you're not. And they said, well, we'd be willing to pay you a few bucks. I said, well, how about Tuesday at 7 o'clock? That's when we're going to start our class. <laughs> I can teach anybody. I needed, <laughs> what, what, I, needed, I needed money. So one time I said, okay, well, I can't make anybody funny. I knew that. That's the first thing I tell all my classes. I cannot make you funny. Some people are tone-deaf. Some people are colorblind. Some people are just not funny. And those are the people that usually work in middle management in corporate America and screw with everybody that does have a sense of humor. But I said, if you are funny, I can say what I made every mistake that they went to make on stage and off. I'll tell you what not to do and we'll work with it. And, again, it's been most, the most rewarding experience of my life because most people don't want to be full-time comedians. They try it once in front of their friends like a sports fantasy camp, and then they never do it again. But just as the people in all walks of life, it's been a total blast, a rewarding experience. I really, really love it. Yeah,
2: and now it's it's all starting to kind of come together for you, because you had 25 years, and your career has been picking up a lot over the last few years, hasn't it?
4: It really has. I'm a 25-year overnight success. You know, <laughs> I, I it, Craig Ferguson, it was really a great a great experience, a fun show. I'm on there, I think it was 2010, I think, whenever it was. And just, you know, people I went to grade school with and people I used to work in all these crappy jobs. And, and that's not a popular show. It used to be, if you got on, like, a, like a Tonight Show, everybody saw you. But I mean a lot of people saw that show. And it was just so rewarding and flattering and all the outpouring of nice people. would say, hey, man, of all the people that struggled and slugged it out, you're, you're finally doing it. And I'm thinking, yeah, yeah, I'm finally doing it. Man, so now I'm on my way after all these years. And then the very next day, uh, I went to a Cubs game in front of 40,000 people and I didn't get recognized once. <laughs> I'm like, you don't know want I
2: thought I was. There you go.
4: But it's still fun. Yeah, things have been going great. I, I try to be a nice guy. You know what? It was, my grandpa always told me, he said, it's, it's nice to be important, but it's important to be nice. And I really try to do it. I, I see people on the road. So they're like, man, you know, 20 years ago, you gave me a ride from Kansas City to blah, blah, blah. And it's great. It, I really, really, I, 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 that, that made me more to me than anything. And the guys like the, the Steve's there, we worked together a long time ago. I respect you guys. And the other comics, the camaraderie and the fun times on the road, to me, that's what meant the most out of everything. Famous fortune, that's bullshit, man, yeah. I, it's it's what it's it's with the, the camaraderie, that's why I like those other guys, and meeting friends you never would
3: have met, that's what comedy's all about. Yep, I, I agree 100% with that. Completely, completely, and your whole thing about being the nice guy and, and the camaraderie, that gets you so much farther in the industry than any closing bit that anybody ever writes, because, like you said earlier, you're on the road, you're on stage for an hour, you got 23 more hours of the day to kill. You'd rather be with somebody that you can hang out with and have a good time with than some jerk that might be funnier, but he's not somebody you want to hang with in the middle of Iowa.
4: Amen. <laughs> yeah social and it becomes I think it's a mental illness that makes us need that stage so much and when you're on the road I think to be out there uh, all the my buddies call them the King Brothers you know smoking, drinking, all the other King Brothers (laughs) and and to manage that and you have to have a head because it is, it's a marathon and you're always out there and always on the road to keep your head straight that's what it's, it's it's really, it's difficult people say oh I would love to be a comic well yeah you might love the stage part of it but the other part is not easy it's at the tip of the iceberg
2: Yep. Yeah, Absolutely. I agree. I'm I'm pretty young into it. And I think even if I had a lot more material, I'd be scared to really head out on the road. I I, I could make more at a retail job in the beginning than I can as a comic.
4: Hey, man, I was telling my students, I said, you, you want an easy way out in life? You want the easy way? Go manage a Burger King. Because there's going to be less work and less aggravation and less heartbreak and less <laughs> disappointment than it is to roll the dice and put your soul out there night after night and to be a comic. Because if you're not fighting with audiences, you're fighting with club owners for 50 bucks or a hotel room somewhere in the in the in, or it's the, 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 your car your transmission goes out or your check engine light comes on in the middle of North Carolina and that's blizzard and oh my God. it's one thing after next and then when people quote unquote make it. Then you wonder why they, they got an attitude. Well, I don't wonder that anymore.
2: <laughs> well, I tell you, I know, and, I just, and I know I said that I, and I'm young in comedy, and I am. I'm barely a year and a half in. But one mm-hmm. of the things that's helping me to know that I'm getting a little bit better is people at the charity events. Like, I'm going to be doing a charity event this February 4th for all-timers at the Jewish Community Center in Newport, Ritchie, Florida. But A year ago, nobody knew who I was or anything, and now I'm getting invited out to do these charities. This particular charity is five to six hundred people. It has big, huge sponsors with Carrabba's Comedy Slam Radio. So for me, it's going to be nice because I'll be up in front of five or six hundred people for the first time. But when people start asking you to do their shows and go in front of people, it's nice.
3: And you definitely have a future in radio the way you just segued in that ad for your charity event coming up.
2: <laughs> you got to pick the right spots. I wanted to go two seconds before when he segued into mental illness because it's for Alzheimer's, but we're all comics here, and sometimes it's hard. you got to let the person go and
4: talk and talk. And well, that's you, could, you could do uh, the, the same five minutes of material over and over again, and it'll, it'll be new to them, so that's good.
2: <laughs> well, that's I only got about seven or eight minutes of solid good stuff we'll anyway.
4: Polish it up. And that's that's the thing too. Now I, I think the Steves will uh, an evening with a couple of Steves. I think we can we can relate to this in our day. Now we sound like the old guys, you know, the grandpa walked uphill to school every day in yeah. the snow. But back then, I mean, there was there was no you could be bad and no one saw it. Now, unfortunately, with YouTube and the Internet generation, you know, people. I see these opening acts, not even middle acts, opening acts. Well, I've got three CDs and a DVD and four websites, and I'm on YouTube and Twitter and MySpace. It's like, buddy, you you, you're not deserving to be near amplified sound equipment yet. (laughs) 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 Well, I would hide that if I were you. It's it's like saving your diapers full of booty pants. You know, you you throw those away. You get those out. You don't you don't show them on YouTube to people. I think it's it's really hard. It's 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 a how can I say, uh, it's an illusion. How can I be bad when to, to, to get good? you got to be bad to get good, but that takes years. So be, be careful when you showcase yourself too early, in my opinion.
3: Exactly. And the other side of the coin is, you, even if you're just a few months into it, you might have 30 seconds that's brilliant, but yeah. they, they throw that 30 seconds uh, and get six stars on rooftop, and all of a sudden they think they should be headlining rooms. Well, it takes a lot more than 30 seconds of brilliance. You've got to be able to hold an audience's attention for an hour before you can close.
2: You know, that's pretty pitiful, because my first time and only time on Rooftop was 30 seconds, you bastard. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, I had to, and I had to be taking a picture of my pecker to do it. That's all I'm saying. <laughs>
3: but a lot of comics nowadays, here we go, the old codgers, a lot of the comics nowadays, they get that 30 seconds of fame, and they think they're ready for their own special on Comedy Central, and, and they're not. Well,
2: luckily for right. me, I had a whole bunch of real-life experiences before I got into comedy, And even though I got some laughs at a competition and even though I'm in a year and a half into it, I know I'm a good – even if I were to be out there every single night, which I'm not, I probably got a good five to seven years still to go before I have enough material to really say I could be on stage for an hour, hour and 20 minutes and just go at it like yourselves or even some of the other people that are out there, the Ralphie Mays of the world or anybody. you know, Any traveling comic is – it's a hard gig, and you got to have a lot of time and testicular
4: fortitude.
3: And that's why you have a future in this business, Davey, because you understand that about it. Thank you. Yeah. Well,
4: I, th- I think it's very, very true, and I think young comics, to listen to this interview, it, it makes a lot of sense. Here's some things I always tell the students I think can, can help young comics too. Uh, most people, human beings in general, are not truly ambidextrous. You're either left-handed or right-handed, usually. And uh, I mean, you could do some things with the opposite hand, but usually you're, you're, you dominate one side or the other. And I think the same thing with, with show business. It's either your show or your business is really good. And I think we've all seen examples of that. People like that their show is great and they're really, really funny, but they don't have any kind of promo, no website. You can't get a hold of them. And you don't, they're sleeping on a couch somewhere. And there's the other guys that have the really good business and they, they got Twitters and websites and they get their newsletter out to bookers every month and they all show up. But their show is Horrible. And it's like, well, you know, one's missing and the other, if you could, you know, Frankenstein them together to get one person with a good show and good business. And it's hard to work on something that you're not naturally good at. If you're an organized person and you're really good at contacting people well, your business, is good. you don't want to go out to the clubs every night and put an act together. Or if you really like the clubs and you really like the craft of comedy and your business sucks, well, you're not going to go anywhere with that either. I think in this day and age, especially with the Internet, you need both. You absolutely have to have both if you're going to survive. And what you're not good at, you better get good at it or find someone to help you.
2: Good point. Very good point. And I noticed that since I started doing the radio show, I find myself more drawn towards this. I like the chasing down of comics like yourself and Steve and the other Steve and some of the other great people that we've talked with, with Steve Middleman. And I was, you know, I'm honored to have you on, but I've had Jackie Mason and Tommy Drees, Tom Dreeson. I mean, it was amazing to me that these guys even picked up the phone to talk to me, let alone to come on the show. But when those guys talk to me, they say, We love to talk about comedy and give back to comedy, and I was. Amen,
4: amen. We're lifers, man. We're lifers, all of us.
2: I I was surprised at how many people responded, and trust me, I've had my share of rejections to call into the show, but I've been overwhelmed by some of the big names that have said yes, and some of the ones that I'm still talking to that are even considering it. And they're like, "Oh, we love giving back," and it's an interesting camaraderie amongst comedians.
4: And I, th- I think you'll find you'll find the ones that like our- like ourselves and-, and present company included is that you you do give of yourself, but we-, we would we would do this anyway. If I was through Florida and you told me that hey, Steve Baird and Steve Erick are in town, wow, I haven't seen those guys in years. Hey, <laughs> in- that- oh, man, I'd love to see those guys. I-, I would. I hope. I wish I was down there too. It's a- it's just- it's what you do. Like say, you know, if if, if I was off work, I'd still be doing this anyway. That's why it's a passion. And then there's nothing wrong, I'd rather be broke and doing something that I'm passionate about than being a president of Walmart, hating my life.
2: That's true. Although I have a funny feeling that guy ain't hating his life.
4: (laughs) (laughs) I know all the other employees (laughs) are. No, he's
2: dead. That's why. (laughs) I know. Well, no, there's still a new president. Oh, you're right. There always is, isn't there? Yeah. The president, you think Walmart closed because Walton died? Yeah, good point. There was somebody, his kids took that job over and the whole bit. They're doing great. And none of them have
3: Walmart furniture in their houses.
2: No, but I. No, do. I bet they don't. I do. That shit's good and cheap, <laughs> and it holds up hey, my he, TV. These are the
3: comic
4: life stuff. You used to go into those thrift stores, man, and you could you go to the leprosy section and uh, get a couch and you hose it off, and that's your lifestyle. If you want if you want the good pretty things, trinkets, marry a rich wife.
1: <laughs> hey, Dobie, there's a place here. It's a it's a homeless shelter, and on Saturdays everything's half price. I swear to God, I got a Gavinci shirt for like 2 dollars and a brand spanking new, man. Look nice. I
2: was thinking, this guy is dressing sharp. Yeah,
1: 2 dollars <laughs> when, when you're Fat
2: Davey-sized, you are fat davey size, you can not go to those stores because nobody no. my size gives up the, their clothing. It's too expensive. you got to go to Good Year instead of Goodwill. <laughs> <laughs> the jokes are flowing already. This is great. I love this. So, hey, one of the things I always like to ask comedians from around, and you're, in, I know you do a lot of work out of Chicago and uh-huh. the Zanies Club up there. Is there any comedians that you like to give a special pop out there to, ones that you think are doing real well, moving along and looking like they got some names for themselves that you want to – you know, just toss a little. Well,
4: there, there, there's actually there's several of them that are coming up, and, and for for whatever reason, I told you I'm now the grizzly, crusty old fart I never thought that it would be. But they have a, a Monday night that's called the Rising Star Showcase. Uh, Bert Haas is it booker of Zanies. And he's one of the few bookers I know that actually comes out on Mondays and he watches comedians. And he, and he tells them, to look, I'm not trying to tell you what to do. I, I'm looking for cleaner acts. If you are a bluer act, that's fine, but I can't really use you. And he gives them a speech before it goes up there. And I've hosted those shows just because no one else wanted to do it. So I've kind of inherited it, whether I wanted it or not. I'm thinking, well, it's a way to make a couple of bucks on a Monday, and I get to see these young comics coming up. So I kind of, they look at me as the MC, and I give them a good introduction because I know what it's like, and I'm sure the Steves do, too. Going to some hellhole somewhere, and you try to audition, and you're passing through town somewhere, and they get your name wrong, and they don't, you know, some idiot. So like, what am "I go out of my way to make sure the crowd is up, and I'm doing this a long time, and I see all the, the guys come this Man, you do such a great job! I'm, I'm trying to plant seeds because now, you know, I'm not the young punk anymore, so I'm hoping one of these guys makes it so I can be their limo driver or their pool boy.
5: You know, I'm trying to suck <laughs> up these
4: guys. Hey, I it's Bert- the that you I watch out for: a kid named Brian Barry. B-E-R-R-E-Y, very, very funny kid. He's kind of like a a Stephen Wright with a little dark twist to him. Really, really funny, great joke writer in his mid-20s. Uh, There's a kid named Pat McGann that's coming up. His father is a a judge, and he's a good-looking kid, and he just just got a real natural charisma, but he's a nice kid, and he's a student of the game, and he's a really, really funny guy. There's a a gentleman who uh, grew up in England. I believe his parents are from Australia, Adam Burke, very, very funny kid. Uh, There's a lady named Emily Galati, who's originally from Phoenix, who lives up in in Chicago, and normally, you know, and I'm going to admit this, most, most comics are sexist. You know, chicks ain't funny. In that kind of situation, <laughs> I must admit that sometimes I think it's very hard to make, have a woman make me laugh as a comic, but she is just really funny. She's got a nice, a nice curveball, you know. She has just a nice, funny delivery, and so the, all these guys are coming up. But it, to me, it's fun, it's the next generation to see these guys, you know, uh, come up the ladder. I really, I'm big fans of, of, of all good comedians, and both guys in the studio too. I love Steve Erick and Steve Carell, both funny guys. I mean, just I, I like to watch funny people, especially that do what I don't do. You know, saying our styles are totally different. It's like wow, I can sit back and enjoy what they do. Like a musician, you know, they're a flute player. I'm a I'm a banjo player. They're a tuba player. I like to I, you know make the music. I like to watch it happen.
1: There you go. Well, thanks for the compliment, there, Dove. Well,
4: I mean, <laughs> sincerely, if I if I thought you sucked, I would have said, "Hey man, how's your wife? Nice, nice
1: shirt?" Yeah. Did <laughs>
4: you get I that a goodwill? Hey, uh, good. like, oh, yeah. Hey, uh,
1: <laughs> like- Dobe, I, ask- I was gonna ask you this earlier: Is Bert Haas still uh, running the club up there?
4: You know he wasn't for a while. Now he's back again. After really? I didn't, uh, he's, he's a general manager now. And, and Rick Ewet, the owner, passed away this uh, this past year. And oh, I don't, wow. what, I don't know if you knew Rick or not.
1: No, I, I knew about Bert, but I never got up there. I uh, I think I, no, I take that back. I did go up there for it was a convention for the uh, comedy club booking agents, and uh, mm-hmm. Yoder, mm-hmm. Yoder uh, suggested I go, so I went up there and a lot of good comics. I didn't get anything out of it, but a lot of good comics. <know>.
4: Well it's 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 a numbers game and I was tell people it's it's like you know people how how do you get in Zanies? I I lucked out. When I moved from Milwaukee to Chicago, it's only ninety miles, there were I believe seventeen or eighteen full time clubs. And I mean this is like Tuesday through through Sunday and they kind of now this there's open mics everywhere, but it's not nearly the amount of clubs. And I just, for whatever reason, hooked up with Zany's. It was total luck of the draw, and all the other clubs happened to close. And now, all these years later, Zany says the only one left is, "Oh, you were a suck up." And you, no, I just, it just it was total. I was Mr. Lucky, and that, and that, like there was two improv, there was an improv here, there was two Funny Bones, there was two Catch a Rising stars, there was a. Uh, a you mean that's factory. all closed
2: now? Has it all closed? that
4: all closed? they're all closed now.
2: Wow. Well, now there's a new club opening up. Isn't the Laugh Factory is putting something up in Chicago now, over by Lakeshore you know, Drive?
4: They are, it's it's in a place uh, I don't know if, you know if you know Chicago very well, but it's, it used to be called the Lakeshore Theater. They had comedy in there, but it's it's not very good uh, parking area there. So it's it's a, it's a difficult nut. It's a beautiful room, but logistically in Chicago, and Jamie Masada coming in from Los Angeles. Well, Chicago people, do, not New York, it's not Los Angeles. It's its own it's its own entity. They think they're gonna come in here and, and take over Zanies, and it's like, good luck with that. You know, I don't want Chicago to see lose work. I'm not, I'm not, you know, trying to get into gang turf war or anything like that. But Chicago's its own town. It's going to be a very hard nut to crack. And I, I wish him luck because I want Chicago to see comics get work, but uh, it's, it's not easy.
2: No, hopefully, I'm sure they got a good game plan. Hopefully, it'll work out for them. I know they're putting a lot of money and a lot of effort into it.
4: Well, I mean, good luck. I think I want to ask the Steve this because we're, we're the, 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 uh, the old school, you know, the, uh, the Yoda generation. I like to call it. Not the Yoda, or the Yoda. <laughs> but I think about it, no, cause when we came up back in the day, in, in the eighties and nineties, there was no internet, there was no YouTube, right. there was no shows like that. And I, what do you guys think? I think to me that it, it's—is is it hurting? Is it helping? When you can see every comic ever that ever performed on YouTube for free in your home? Yeah. Um, what do you guys think about that?
3: I don't think it's doing a lot of favors for the clubs. Because unfortunately, there's a lot of real bad comics on YouTube. So, amen. I I think I think there's a lot of people that. have a bad taste in their mouth thinking and there's a lot of the one-off shows now where it's a bunch of open micers who can't get booked at zanies or a real comedy club so they'll go to a bar and throw together a club a show of a bunch of other open micers and I I, I think too much of the bad comedy kind of keeps people away from the clubs but uh, the good clubs are still going to (coughs) draw
1: yeah yeah dope I remember uh, you know I started in 84 and they didn't even have cable TV yet man so, uh,
4: no, I, I hear you, man.
1: It, you know, it, it, I think it started going.
4: Say that, but it's true. Yes,
1: I think it was. I think it started going down when Comedy Central came on. To be honest with you, that's when I noticed uh, my money wasn't as good as it was. And well,
2: that's because they could see any
1: time they want by turning on the well, TV exactly. as opposed to it, going out. Exactly. But I remember when I started uh, before the inter- uh, before cable, there was a Monday night place at two fifty, and the place was packed on a weeknight. You know, night after night after night, week after week, people are starving for entertainment. And now they're what? now they're
2: they're overflowed with entertainment. Yeah, they're they're filled by the <laughs> boob tube and movie popcorn.
3: And every town is still going to have the one club that is going to still fill the seats. You know, every every town's going to have that. Yeah, sure. It used to be every town would have two or three clubs. You know, the the A club and then a couple other clubs. And like Dobie said, was saying, you know, as far as having more clubs in town for more work for the comics, I don't see most towns supporting three or four cl- clubs anymore.
4: Do that. I agree with all that. It's totally true. I think you guys remember the same thing. You go to a, a town, and and like Steve Bear said, it's it's full. You know, Tuesday night. There's three or four radio stations in town, so Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, it might be country night or light rock night or minivan mom station night, and the DJ comes out on, on Hot 102, and it's two to get in, and, and they might get in for a buck, but there's 100, 150 people in there, so you've got good All shows. Right. So going into the weekend, you've already had three or four great shows, and then it's just it's a momentum kind of thing, and you get to be a better comic that way, and people appreciated it. They wanted to see comedy. Now you put a damn business card in a fishbowl, and you and 5,000 at <laughs> your closet friends and their entire bloodline and some cambodian refugees and a government cheese line will be at the comedy club and there's no value whatsoever real or perceived so
2: yeah right. I, I know down here in tampa we have a couple of clubs that do uh like competitions and contests so people you know they got to bring five of their friends and pay 10 bucks right. or, yeah. yeah and the more the more people that cheer for you it's a crowd audience do they run the competitions up like that, or do they have competitions up in Chicago like that? And if they do, what's your opinion of that style, for getting experience?
4: But, you know, you know, competition, that, that's like, okay, let's get the, let's get Van Gogh to bring six people with paintbrushes and easels out and have a painting contest. <laughs> uh, <laughs> let's, let's, let's compare art. Yeah, yeah. I hate it. you right, right. you don't want to see comedy, don't see it.
1: Yeah, yeah that's let's like it, saying don't, don't,
4: that. make a, don't make a contest out of it. I, I can't stand that stuff. But I know I'm not
2: I hear you all the way. Yeah, I hear you all the way on that. I did it once about seven months into me doing comedy because, you know, when you're first doing it, you're in front of open mics. And a lot of times the open mics have six or seven comedians or 12 comedians and nobody else in there. So I did the contest because I knew everybody was going to bring their friends and there's going to be 90, 100 people in the club. So I said, this is my opportunity. I'll pay my 15 bucks to test my testicular fortitude and get on stage in front of 90, 100 people and see if I can make them laugh. They may not have voted for me, but I made 90, 100 people laugh, and it gave me the confidence that, hey, getting up on front of stage in front of a large amount of people is feasible for me. It's something to keep working on. Sure. And that was the only thing I really tried to or wanted to get out of that.
3: But here, here's me being the old timer again. That's there. That's the same. The camaraderie isn't there as much anymore because it used to be that the comics would make sure the rooms were filled no matter what night it was. Now they don't bother to fill the rooms unless they might win the hundred dollar door prize.
4: <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's so true. And I don't know about you now, now uh, Steve Baird, You started in Indy, is that correct?
3: Yeah. Is
4: that in the scene there? Now, Steve Eric, you started.
3: You started in Tampa. Yeah, I started in Tampa.
4: So there's a, there's a scene in those towns, you know, so I mean, my point is you might have a one nighter somewhere or you went to an open mic or you come in, you're maybe just you're off that week and you just wanna kinda of hang out there and, and you go to your home club and there's a staff there that you know and maybe you're trying to hit a couple of little waitresses there and you, you you shoot pool if there's a pool table or whatever in the other comics and you just kinda have a place to grow in, and you exchange stories and you have your, your comedy generation of comics that are in your town and in, in Milwaukee and both Chicago. Zanies is my home club and it's really written out. Like I said, it's not that way anymore. You come in and try Win this contest, and you don't you don't hang out with with other comics. It's like it's like you're all private contractors, everyone for themselves, and there's it's really it's really taken a lot of the
2: fun out of it. Yeah, I I would agree with that, and I think if you go into them, you just got to go into them with the right attitude, because I'm in a lot of the I'm a little younger than everybody in the room, so I'm sure everybody's been on Facebook, but I go into a lot of the different comedy scene rooms, even in Chicago, the ones in Florida, and all throughout the country. One, to promote the heck out of my show, but two, just to see what's going on, look for people to call in, and I see about all these different competitions, and they're just everywhere. Bring 10 of your friends, or it's $15 to come in, and club owners promote them, and it's it's amazing to me how it goes down like that.
4: Yeah, well, times have changed, and I think, I think the comics coming up today have, have a whole different world to, to deal with, and that is part of reality. The Internet is a reality part of that, and bringer shows are a reality. And an abundance of crappy comics used to say, you know, hey, I'm a comic. You know, okay, well, would you like to do a guest set passing through? Oh, that, that is non-existent today. There's no way you can do that anymore, just pass it through town. And it's just a whole different set of rules. And and the old guys like us, I think we have to just pretty much you know, either hop on the new the new style or get out of the business. It's, it's a dinosaur. It's, I, sometimes I feel like I'm, I'm a blacksmith making horseshoes. i got to find a way to make car fenders really <laughs> soon or I'm going to be totally out of business.
3: I saw eight-track tapes. <laughs> <laughs> that, is it see Eric your... live at Budokan. <laughs> <laughs>
2: We're still waiting for Steve to transfer stuff from uh, VHS to DVD. Yeah. Same thing with Steve Burns. Yeah, yeah, I, I haven't ca- caught up yet.
1: <laughs> no, I all my all my shows are on VHS and micro cassette. Nice.
4: <laughs> it's so funny. I had a guy out in Salt Lake City. I was living out there. I was do- doing a joke about eight tracks, and he has had an eight track player, and somehow could record on it, which I don't know how he could, but he did. And he took my comedy CD and recorded it on eight track and made a <laughs> label for it. So I have
1: an eight track. <laughs> oh, hysterical. CD. <laughs> you <laughs> actually went back in time. That's pretty cool, man.
4: Oh, now, in between the band, you know, right before a punchline, it clicks. In between. Uh, <laughs> now.
2: now, is that the is that the same comedy CD that we're going to be playing at your, at the station from here on out?
4: No, actually, it's it's a different one. It's some of the same material as on. I sold it to the uh, the guy Arnie Hoffman from Laughing Hyena Records, the same guy that put uh, Jeff Foxworthy and, and John Fox and all those guys in the truck stops. And I, I sold them. I sold them my old CD that was recorded at, at uh, the Comedy Caravan in Louisville, Kentucky. And I sold them just the recording. That particular recording, not the material, the jokes themselves, but that particular recording of it. He said, if you want to record it over again, you can sell it, but I own this particular recording of it. So I, it was a few years old at the time, so I recorded another one at Zanny's in Chicago, and actually I, I recorded a whole week, so I've got enough for three CDs. That's just the first one. i got two other ones to come out after that.
2: Nice. So, so aside from dobemaxwell.com and the CDs, what what else can people find out about you on the website? Can they sign up for your comedy classes at dobemaxwell.com
4: I'm I'm getting I'm, call, I'm calling it MaxwellMethodComedy.com because sometimes I'll tend to rant and rave and I, I have a few a certain uh, uh, how can I say theories that that people you know it's like, I don't know if you guys are sports fans There's a guy named Walt Reniak was a was a hitting coach. And this this probably in the 70s. And and he, he would tell guys how to bat better. And some guys loved him and some guys hated him. And there's some guys that think I'm a guru. And some guys think I'm a complete flaming idiot. And that's okay. I, guess I only have 25 years on the road of hands-on experience. So if you think I'm an idiot, that's totally fine. But I, I preach things for a reason. For, for example, I, I preach to my, to my students. <laughs> when you're starting out, there's no reason to take the mic out of the stand for the first year. Just, it's the first thing I do. I'm all over the place. I don't know if the Steves do that. Yeah, thing. that's, that's yeah. But I... I just think there's so many other things to worry about. At first, don't do it. I mean, it just, you don't need to do it. Just, and I say, why, that is. I said, you don't have to agree with it. You can ask me why not. I'll tell you why, and I explain it. And I got a whole lesson about that, why not. And I showed the class, and I, think, I I think no comedian on any level needs more than 10 premises total. I I really don't believe that. If you dig in and really find good premises and dig deep into that, I, I like to call it accordion bits. You know, some nights you might do two or three minutes on a subject or some nights if it's going hot, you might do 15 or 20 on that same subject. And it goes in and out like an accordion, you know, depending on the night or the crowd. So if you've got 10 topics that you really, really polish up and you say you have 15 or 20 minutes, that's 200 minutes. That's almost three hours of material. If you work on that for 20 years, you'll have yourself, you know, and it still has to do so many premises that are all over the place and, and current events. It's like, don't do current events. You know, I I just twenty T V shows I can turn on to see current events comedy. Develop your character, <laughs> develop your persona, develop your point of view, especially if you have white man's disease. But you some the white guy up here, Don't tell me about Obama. I know about Obama. Who are you, white boy? tell me about your life and it's like it's like a comedy chiropractic lesson it's like these are the mistakes that the, the reason i'm not famous twenty five years into it is because i didn't do all these things now that i'm starting to do them my things, my career is going really really well and there are people that buy into it and know what i'm talking about immediately and other people think you are you are so out there past uranus past pluto you are a complete moron as so, i don't know so I, I like it or not it's the maxwell method and i'm getting a website done with little snippets like that and i think a lot more you know corporate friendly keep it clean my god i don't hear it about yeah. you you know, it's, well, I didn't use the words. No, you're talking about, you know, eating out your grandma when the coffin lid fell on your head. That's like you're doing this disgusting whole hey, bit. And he stole that.
1: Money. Somebody was He that? stole that from somebody. I heard somebody else do that one.
4: <laughs> that, that, that was actually Gary Kern. We were talking about that. Oh, <laughs> that's right. It was Gary Kern.
1: Oh, man. God. Yeah, that rings back memories. I was living in Fort Wayne when
4: I met Gary. Gary was—he was, was one of my mentors when I started out, there, and I think all young comics should know a guy like that. Now I'm that guy. I've mentored guys along the, on the road and just, you know, show you how to how to live on the road, how not to be, a, you know, a flaming a moron, you know, to save your money and to get to the next town and to just to be a a, 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 a road guy, you know. And it's, it's a whole different lifestyle. You got you it has got to acquire uh, a, a thick skin, you know. Sometimes I was tell say normal people drive 30 to 45 minutes to work an eight to 10-hour shift at a job. Comedians drive 8 to 10 hours to work a 30 to 45 minutes. <laughs> it's a whole different world now. You're right. You're Completely right. opposite.
2: Well, you, you just was, gave some of the same exact advice that last week when uh, Tom Dreesen was on. He said, you know, when you first get up on stage and you're new, tell us who you are, where you came from. Uh-huh. The same exact thing you're saying, and that's actually got me changing my material around. So,
4: Where's Tom uh,
2: Dreesen from? Tom Dreesen's originally from Milwaukee. Milwaukee, and he spent Uh, a lot of time...
4: uh, You know, come on, you should know where it's from.
2: Harvey, Illinois,
4: he talks about it in his act.
2: Harvey, Illinois, and then he spent a lot of time in Chicago, the south side of Chicago, or the east side.
4: Harvey is is the south side of Chicago. Well, my point is, he talked about that on the Tonight Show. Yes, you know, where are you from, who you are, definitely. And Jack Benny talked about being from Markegan, Illinois, and just to shape a persona. So many comics don't get that... uh, that especially now you got you gotta fight your with it's like a sea of mosquitoes, man. You <laughs> gotta you gotta be the the one that, that people notice and stand out. It's a it's a whole thing. It's show business. The business is as important or more than the show.
2: There you go. So uh um, one of the things
4: that, what do I have to plug? I, I read a blog, what it's like to be a comedian called the Dented Can Diary. And I started on my birthday about six years ago, and I thought, you know what, I want to have a discipline. I want to see if I can write something, one page a day, just a diary of what my, my life is about. For a year. I'm going to try to do 30 days, and now it's going to start my seventh year on March 14th, my birthday. And oh, my it's, God. It's warts and all. Sometimes that's happy. Sometimes it's sad. I always try to, if it's something happy, like today I'll write about, hey, I talked to my good friend, Steve Barrett, Steve Barrett, hey, Frank, and all this stuff. I'll mention names if it's good. I won't mention names if it's bad, like, it screwed by Booker, <laughs> but I'll mention the situation. I'll mention the situation so young comics could read it and say, oh, Oh boy, that that happened to me sometimes too, and a lot of times, like the bookers will say, hey, what well, good writing about me in your blog? I say, hey, you know, you, I didn't mention your name. If your guilty conscience went off, you know, you're, a, you know, uh, an idiot. But it's like so it's it's gone up and down for six years and people follow it, and it's just it's just a way to kind of live vicariously through a road dog that's been through it.
3: So
2: well, that's amazing comics, discipline. It's for you. All right, well, hey, we got about three minutes or two minutes left in the show, and we always like to give a shout out to a couple of things that are coming up. Do you have an event or two that you want to let out there, Toby? Uh,
4: uh Actually, I, I do. If you're going to be in the Milwaukee area in uh, April, April 22nd, there's a gentleman that was a mentor of mine, like a Gary Curran. His name was C. Cardell Willis. He was a black comic, and he was is from uh, Indianapolis, actually, uh, through Mississippi, and he settled in Milwaukee, and he was a mentor to all the comics in the 80s when I started up. This is before there were even comedy clubs. He passed away a few years ago, and this would have been his 75th birthday on April 20th. We could get to the club. It's now a rock club. used to be the Funny Bone there. April 22nd, we're doing a Milwaukee tribute show to see, see Cardell Willis because nobody knows who he was, and he was a wonderful soul, and uh, we're just kind of getting the co- comics together and tell stories kind of like we did tonight and just encourage the young to keep
3: it going. That used to be a rock club, then it went to the funny bone, now it's a rock club again.
4: Hey, Ben, brother. It's right back. It's called Shank Hall, which is a reference on a spinal tap they took out of it. Yeah, oh, that's play. funny. Yes, it's a that's funny. I'm trying but to remember I the name. I used to
3: go watch Ruby Star play there all the time.
4: Ah, uh, Ruby Star. Exactly. I know Mudslide, the drummer for that band. <laughs>
3: yes. Wow. That's, I wild. that's Yeah, great guy. Steve?
4: Yes. Yeah.
2: Now, I know both of you guys are probably going to be involved in a show that we have coming up on the 10th, 11th, and 12th.
3: That's the yes, the we're, Uncle Dow Memorial Tribune. Hey, Dobby,
2: you remember Uncle Dow, don't you? Did you ever meet, meet Dow? You, did you know Uncle Dow? He traveled, what, about 25, 30 Out years of Dayton? doing
4: comedy? Oh, yeah, 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 I did. Yeah, I, I crossed paths. I did worked with him. I crossed paths a couple times,
2: yes. <clears throat> yeah. He, he recently passed away on January 18th. Oh, and, I'm sorry to hear that. And we're going to do a benefit show at... One of the local Coconut Comedy Clubs, are doing the 10th, 11th, and 12th. And mm-hmm. we have comedians coming in from all around the country that knew him. So there's probably going to be 20 to 30 comedians at Coconuts uh. in Clearwater. And they're all going to do a tribute show. I myself had never met Dow, but I talked to so many people in the last year and a half in comedy that have tried to teach me something, and so many of them have been taught... Things are taking on the road for the first time by Dow. uh, Yeah. I felt like I had to be involved a little bit. And the little bit that I'm doing is just promoting it on my show. Uh, Next Monday, we're actually going to do a tribute show on the radio where Steve, uh, Johnny Ace, Sue Sager, and um, who else are we going to have in the studio aside from me? Hey. Yeah, Steve Baird, you're coming back? (laughs) I'm going to let you back two weeks in a row. You ain't going to bill me for this, are you? Well,
1: I didn't say much this show, did I?
2: No. Nah. But we're going to do that. We're going to open up for about two hours. So we're going to play some of uh, Uncle Dow's music. We're going to have, you know, the people that knew him telling some stories, comedians from around the country, if they're going to want to call in. We're going to do a special two-hour show. And uh, we're also, you know, if you want to call to the Coconuts Comedy Club, anybody can call in. Uh, it's the Coconuts in Clearwater on Gulf to Bay. Uh, if you can't make it to the show, but you want to spend dola- t- spend $10 to donate some money, everything is going to go to Uncle Dow's family. So it's a really great opportunity to give back and do some charity. So we hope people will call in. If you don't feel comfortable calling in and you want to ask more about donating, you can just email Frank at yahoo.com, and I'll be more than happy to put you directly in contact with the people that run Coconut so they can take your credit card or anything you want to do. But, you know, everything helps when it comes to charity. We like to help the community out.
4: Hey Amen, brother. That's great. I am thrilled that to, to hear that. I'm sorry he passed away. I'm glad you guys are doing a tribute. That's kinda what I'm doing up here. A tribute to another guy that just a, a great soul lets you get some credit.
2: There you go. And then I have a show at the same club with some with a few other comedians. It's gonna be called the Cholesterols of Comedy. A couple yeah, of ch- that's a a couple, a couple of chunky monkeys and one skinny guy that's gonna MC it. But that's going to be on the 18th, and that's also a Saturday at Coconuts. And, uh, you know, that's pretty much all the shout-outs that we have because we have the Jewish Community Center that we're doing on the 4th, which is going to raise money for all-timers, and that's going to be a great event. Uh, They're actually going to run it as a gong show, so it's going to be a lot of fun. I'll probably be gong pretty quick.
1: Jewish Alzheimer's really yeah I know I tipped you earlier <laughs>
2: <laughs> all right Toby listen I really appreciate you calling in we're gonna actually end the show and uh, if you want to stay on for just a moment you can we're gonna just I just want to let everybody know don't forget if you if you missed the live show not that if you're gonna hear it but we are always available on iTunes at let's be Frank's podcast and on let's be frank with dave frank um, potomatic.com or let's be thanks again from comedy slam radio we appreciate you tuning in doby thanks for being here steven Steve. guys.
4: Great to talk to all of you hey doby good, <laughs> good to hear you again, buddy
2: all right thanks, thanks again stay on the line for a second if you want doby and we're going to end the show
1: what was that I'll tell you what that was. That was another fine show from ComedySlamRadio.com, where we put the dot com and comedy.